Good morning. So glad to be here. My name is Dwight, one of the pastors of uh, Church 21. And um, yeah, I, I'm wearing a uh, short sleeve this morning in solidarity with spring. Uh, spring has been forgotten by Big Brother Winter. W- winter's a bully here, and uh, I'm just not having winter anymore. So, so glad that you're with us. And um, we're wrapping up Revelation. Uh, not this morning, but we're, we're getting really, really close. And, you know, sometimes there, there's sermons that I get to preach, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a really hard one to preach. This is not that. Um, if you are looking for um, 100% good news, uh, that's what this is uh, this morning. So I'm going to pray again, and we will get at this text. Jesus, thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're active, that you're moving, that you are, are working in uh, this world in a profound way. When we feel like this world might be getting further and further from the world that you desire, uh, we are reminded of this text. And this text is profound, epic. It, is almost, it almost feels too good to be true. It feels unreal because of the things that we're uh, bumping into day in and day out. But would you, uh, Holy Spirit of God, be whispering to us, this actually is true. This is real. This is where things are heading. This is where followers of Jesus are are moving toward. And this is uh, what God the Father is up to. Would you be whispering that into our hearts as we struggle maybe this morning to believe the things that we're actually going to read and hear. So we love you and we need your help. Amen. All right, how many of you want a better world? Great. Those of you who are awake, you do. Those of you who don't wish that the better world was where you could still be sleeping right now. But uh, we do have 3 p.m. service in Verdun, uh, so there are options for some of you uh, late sleepers. But we all want a better world. And when we talk about wanting a better world, it gets very subjective because it comes down to your preferences and what you would desire Um, Maybe it's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Maybe it is a place where you get to sleep in every day. Maybe it's a place where there's no war. Maybe it's a place where we have better leaders. Maybe it's a place where there's no poverty. We all come at this idea of wanting a better world with great subjectivity around the world that we would want. And what I want to say this morning is that a better world is coming. And this is good news. Uh, Last week, my son in our West... So we're one church, four different locations. Um... The, the West Island is where my family is a part of. And my son was doing slides last week. And I'm like, listen, son, people don't know how to celebrate this stuff. People are like, oh, new world, I don't know. Um, so I get it. But I made him push like amen on the little thing. So it was like, kind of like when you're sitting watching a sitcom uh, live. I don't know if you've ever done that. And it's not that funny. But then the like laugh thing comes on. And you're like nervously laughing. Um, maybe we need that type of reminder this morning. that This is that good. Uh, maybe not. I don't see anyone up here. Tim, you can lean over, brother, and hit the amen button if you need to. I'm going to leave that up to you, all right? But it's coming, and here's the deal. It's better than you can imagine. So if you have ideas and thoughts of what this better world might be, it's actually better than that. That's how good this new world is. And if I had that button, it would go, amen, yes, amen, it's true, it's good. Let me start off with Revelation 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. The, the world that we're heading toward is one where there are no tears. And not because everyone's just tough and like, come on, come on boy or come on girl. Like, you don't cry about these things. It's because there's nothing to cry about any longer. Right? There's no more death. There's no more sadness. There's no more mourning. There's a perfect world. And the reason why this happens is because what's called the curse, which came onto creation almost at the beginning, like almost 
it starts and almost right away, bad things start happening. We brought it onto this world. You know, we're talking about save the earth or do whatever we can do for the climate or whatnot. That's actually our fault. Like, that was our rebellion that brought all of that into being. But listen to what happens. Revelation 22, verse 3. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. We saw that much earlier in Revelation. And of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. The curse is gone. Right? We, we sing about that at Christmas time. I won't even try and find those lyrics because I've repressed Christmas uh, at this point. I'm really looking forward to spring and summer. But the curse is gone. Jesus took the curse. You can't find it anymore in this new earth, in this new heaven. It's gone. And so for the first time, you can actually live a fullness of a new life. The life that you were intended to live, you are actually going to be able to live in this new world that's coming. And so what this text is, it's a big reveal. It's a big reveal. And the question that we ask when going into this text is, what does life look like with absence of evil and full presence of God? So what does life look like with the absence of evil and the full presence of God? Because maybe you think of this new world as, oh, the, the absence of bad things is what we're looking forward to. But if that's all that it was, heaven would be super lame. Super lame, because the one that you were made for still isn't there. So it's the absence of evil and the presence of God. So the way the Revelation is structured is we see in Revelation 1, chapter 1 to 3, the beginning of Revelation, we see the church as um, in its weakness, in, in her brokenness. Jesus actually highlights some of her flaws and things that are going well in the local churches in that time. And then what we see in Revelation 21 and 22 is that the church is now perfect. The church has no blemish. The church has no sin. The church has no rebellion. And so this is our future. This is what we're going to talk about. And so the way I'm going to approach the text today is um, Revelation 21 verses 1 to 8 really give us um, everything we need to know. And then Revelation 21 verse 9 to Revelation 22 verse 5 uh, fills in. So if you like to color, I enjoy coloring once in a while, but Revelation 21 verse 1 to 8 is like the lines in the coloring book, okay? That's the major point. And then Revelation 21 verse 9 to 22 verse 5 is everything colored in. So I'm going to just focus on really seven verses this morning, and I'm going to jump into different aspects of the other part. And I realize that you probably don't care about that, but I feel obligated to say that, okay? Now that that's out of the way, we'll keep going. Um, the, the text, you might be frustrated by this text as well because it might not answer all the questions that you have about new heaven and new earth. Um, so my kids have asked me lots of questions over the years around what's it going to be like in this new heaven and new earth? Like will our, our not yet do dead dog be there? I'm like, why are you focusing on the deadness of our dog when he's right there? Go get him some food. He will die if you don't do your chores, right? But it's these things that they're, they're trying to process, what's going on. And really the text doesn't answer that question. It doesn't answer it. It doesn't try to answer every question that you might have. So it, it might frustrate you, but I, I think the text does give us enough detail telling us that the new heaven and new earth is going to be familiar but different. Have you ever seen someone, you know, like there's something different about you? It's like, did you get a haircut? No. 
Um, did you grow? They're like, not the way I wanted to. Uh, did you change? Like, what is it about you that's different? And there's not really anything that, that's different about them physically, but there's something different about them. Like, there's a lightness to them, or there's a peace to them. There's something different. That's what the new creation is like. It's familiar, but different. So we're going to see beauty. We're not going to move into, like, a black and white world of dysfunctionality. There's going to be more beauty, and we'll look at that later. There's variety, so not everything is the same. There's beautiful variety and diversity. There's order in things. There's logic to things. There's inexhaustible joy. Not fickle happiness, like you got your way, so you're happy, but inexhaustible joy, like fountains of joy flowing from within you. And so as we approach a text like this, um, we can have what I would call sanctified speculation. Okay, so sanctification is the process of us becoming more like Jesus. And so in this, in this period of time where we're moving from we've been made right with God to being made like Jesus, we, we, get, to, we get to ask questions. What's it really going to be like? And God, I think, has a big maybe. You know, if you're a parent and you say maybe a lot, like you're in good company because I think God says a big maybe with Revelation 21 and 22 to some of our questions. But the biggest thing, the biggest thing is that Jesus is there. Jesus is there. You will not be bored ever. And Jesus, if, if I were to invite you to my house today, um, we could probably fit everyone in our house. Um, you might have to spill over into the backyard, uh, but there's a hot tub back there. It could be okay. Um, but if, we invi- if I invited you to my house, one, my wife would be like, what did you do? Uh, but, but secondly, we might have enough resources in our house to host you for a snack. Like, maybe. This is like a hardcore maybe. I don't know when we last went to Costco. I was away for the past few days. Um, But maybe we could host you for the afternoon. But by this evening, you would be cranky. You would be like looking in, you know, my kid's lunchbox for like maybe they left snacks from last week. We We would exhaust our ability to host you. Jesus is capable of hosting you for eternity. His pantry is is infinite. Right? There, there's no end to the goodness of Jesus. And he will host you for eternity in the state, in the new state of everything. He has no lack. He has no lack. And that would be an amen, right? That would be a, oh, that's amazing. And Ephesians, the book of Ephesians tell us, tells us that we're actually never going to fully understand everything about Jesus. He is that complex. He is that infinite and yet he's going to keep revealing more about who he is to us so for all of eternity which means there will be no end you want to get a headache think about that meditate on that for the rest of this morning right okay yeah but when will the end okay i get no end but when will it really be there will be no end and he will keep hosting you forever jesus is going to serve his people and there's three points to to the text this morning i don't usually do this Um, But the other pastors sometimes give me a hard time that I don't give three points. So let me give them to you. Um, One, there's a new environment. Uh, Two, there's a new city. And three, there's a new people. Okay? So first, new environment. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. And I want to pause there because John, that's seeing these visions, he's been seeing into the old heaven, like current heaven that exists at this moment. He's seen this, and now what he's seeing is something new. But he recognizes it as being heaven. So it's not like, oh yeah, that's old heaven. It's 
that's heaven, but it's new. There's something familiar but different, something new about it. I saw the new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So this thing that Jesus is going to do is he's going to transform the cosmos. It's not like a little patchwork. It's that everything, Jupiter, somehow is going to be made better, right? Maybe Pluto is going to be brought in as a planet again. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But the cosmos is going to be transformed completely. He's going to make it new. He's not making new things. He's making things new. Um, there's a lot of illustrations about my children this morning. I'm so sorry. But these are the things that pop in my mind most often. Um, my kids will come to me. I don't know how to fix many things, okay? If you invite me to paint, I can help you paint. But if you invite me to, like, do a building project, like, you don't want me there. Um, but sometimes my kids bring me things because they think I can fix them. And I'm like, I, let me disappoint you again. And my daughter brings me this little microphone we got her years ago all the time. I think we threw it away. Don't tell her. Um, but she brings it and she says, can you fix this, Daddy? And I'm like, yeah, okay. Like, I try and fix it. And then I say, good as new. She runs away with it, like sings one time, drops it. And she's like, you did not make this new. Right? And so I try and make it new again to the point where we actually have to buy a new one. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not just going to do some patchwork and, like, call it good and be a, like a Montreal landlord. And you find, like, you know, massive mushrooms behind that, like, mirror thing that somehow is in a weird corner of the house. You're like, why is that there? No, look over here. Look at this side, right? It's not going to be like that. Everything is going to be new. It's going to be unbreakable. And it's going to be made to last for eternity. You won't need to save the earth. That's not going to be one of our jobs in new creation is saving the earth. We don't need to worry about in that moment a climate crisis or things warming up. Don't hear me saying what I'm not saying or you can figure that out, right? Not saying it's not important now. I'm, not, I'm saying at that moment it's not going to be important because everything is going to be made new. There will be no danger signs. There will be no danger signs. It will be amazing. The, the earth will not reject or destroy people anymore. And humanity won't want to destroy one another or themselves anymore. Uh, spring is coming. How many of you have allergies? Aren't you so excited? You're like, if we could just go winter straight to summer, right? Like just jump over that whole thing, right? Invest in Kleenex now, right? If you're buying stocks, it's a good stock to buy. But allergies, allergy means that creation is against you. You're like, no, no, it's just an allergy. It's like creation is trying to kill you. <laughs> they can only give you a stuffy nose, right? Death by stuffy nose. Like that's what creation is. It's against us. My wife, when, when we travel, we have to like pre-cook meals in Montreal and freeze them and, and bring them to different continents of the world because my wife can, cannot eat food unless it's prepared a certain way and certain types of food. Creation is against her, right? She gets violently sick. Disease, disease won't be there anymore. You can hug sharks and bears and not worry about what's going to happen to you. You can swim with sharks. Forget the dolphins. They've gotten a lot of attention, right? Swim with the sharks. It'll be amazing. Not in a cage. You're free. Free, Willie, you know. Um, you can't, um, creation will not reject or destroy people anymore. That's good. That's good. We're going to be in a new environment. It'll be familiar but different. And it says in, in verse 1 that the sea is no more. And for those of you that love uh, ocean life, you're like, no, I like the sea. That's a really bad view. 
it's not saying there's not going to be any water or, or big bodies of water. It's saying that there's not going to be any more chaos. Remember, Revelation is so symbolic, and the sea represented chaos. Um, when, when Jesus walked on water, and you're like, oh, man, I don't know if I believe that. Like, I'm so glad you're with us. At one point, I didn't believe that either, okay? But I believe it. At one point, Jesus was walking in the water, and um, his disciples were in a boat, and Peter looked out and saw Jesus. Peter was a fisherman, but all of them were scared to death of the sea. It wasn't like they took YMCA swimming lessons, and it's like, oh, Peter's on blue. He'll be fine if he falls out. It's, it's not good. Blue's a level. Uh, my kids are really into that, too, so I know all the levels. Like, you, you, you get weird knowledge that you just don't need to have, you know, being a parent. But anyway, Peter did not have his YMCA, like, check thing. He would have been scared to death. And so as Peter gets up out of the boat to walk toward Jesus, he's saying, I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm, I'm getting out of the boat, out of safety, out of life. And if you're really God, then tell me to walk to you. Like, tell me to walk to you. I, I'm, I'm putting my life in your hands. He, they, they believed that the sea was chaos, that, that the sea brought disaster. Well, there's not going to be any more chaos in the new creation. Destruction will be gone. Also, there, there'll be no more night. Uh, in chapter 21, verse 25, it says this. And its gates will never be shut by day, and, and there will be no night there. Revelation 22, verse 5 says something similar. Uh, the night represented evil, right? You, you see Jesus talking about light and darkness, and it's not this, like, Jedi thing where which power are, are you or which force are you, and you're in the dark side or whatever. It's not that. It's that, that darkness represents evil. Darkness represents evil. And so in this new creation, there's not going to be any more fear. Some of you, uh, maybe you wouldn't admit this, but some of you are scared of the dark still. And maybe you put a little nightlight on, or you, you have a light on in the bathroom in case you need to get up at night, or you sleep with all the lights on, and you don't tell anyone that, and that's okay, right? But there'll be no more fear. You won't need to fear anything at all. There'll be no more sleep, and all the kids would be like, yeah, like amazing. Parents are like, no, it's horrible. But the reality is that the kids will be Jesus' problem in the new creation, right? So you don't need to worry about that. Hands... It's like, dad? I'm like, no, brother. We're now brothers in the new creation, right? That's your dad over there. He'll take care of you. It'll be amazing. For those of you who like naps, I love naps. 20-minute naps are amazing because I feel very rested after those. But in the new creation, in this new environment, you will always be rested without the current means of rest. You'll always feel like, I just got up from a 20-minute nap, like I, and I have my coffee, and I feel ready to take on the world. That, that will always be your feeling. That's good news. That's really good news. And then no more sun. No more sun. 21 verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the lamp. We no longer are dependent on creation. We're dependent on the creator. He's going to provide everything that we need. But just because it says, that, read, read the text carefully. There'll be no need of sun. It doesn't say there won't be a sun. We won't need vitamin D anymore. We won't need the, the earth to, to give us warmth and, and certain access points or whatever. We won't need that. And if the sun is there, my kids are all rooting for 15 suns, right? They're like, we want 15 suns. Maybe. Maybe there will be. But if the sun or multiple suns are there, it'll be for beauty. 
It'll be for art. It'll be, um, maybe it'll feel like a forever sunset. You ever watch the sun go down and there's like a little sadness that happens. You're like, ah, oh, like, yeah, we'll, we'll carry on. But that beauty was absolutely incredible. And you feel like you get like sucked into something. And, and everyone can be standing there watching the same thing. And you're like, isn't it beautiful? It's like, well, yeah, moron, like I'm watching it too. No one says that, do they? They're like, yeah, it is. And like, oh, look at that color. And you're like, yeah, I saw that. You know, like we, we're, we're all sucked up into this together. I think that's, that's what new creation is going to be. That things are going to be for beauty and art. And you need to know that Jesus is not a minimalist in glory display. Jesus is not looking for like nice clean white walls. He has art everywhere. He's going to use creation for, I mean, think about it. We believe that God is a creator. Think about that diversity. When I draw trees, I draw one type of tree, a stick with lots of little sticks coming off the sides, right? You're really thankful I'm not your creator. God's like, no, I'm going to make every tree different. And it's like, why does the tree bend like that? He's like, because I thought that would look nice. That's our new creation. Without the curse, no brokenness to destroy it. The new creation is going to be extravagant, like over the top. I don't know if you've ever walked into someone's house and you're like, this is a little over the top, a little too much. Get ready for the new creation, right? It's going to be over the top. It's going to be weighty. And we have to know that whatever is there serves the, the, the purpose of best worshiping Jesus. When we're there, we're not going to be tempted at all to look at something else and be like, whoa, that thing is better than Jesus. That thing somehow is going to help us worship Jesus better. This is the new environment that God is going to create. In this new environment, there's a new city. Listen to Revelation 21.2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, the readers who would have been reading Revelation, most of them would have lived in the city. Most of the world lived in the city at this time. And cities are places of security because there are walls and there, there's like a military there and you have your goods that are being brought in and sold there. But cities are also a place of danger. I just went to New York City, spent three days there. Beautiful, like absolutely beautiful. Uh, but lots of brokenness there too. I brought my 10-year-old daughter Sadie there and, uh, and I knew when danger was around because I felt a hand squeezing harder. And I'm like, what's going on? What do you see? And she would tell me. And it's danger. She feels the danger that something is not right in this city. In this new Jerusalem, there's no danger. There's no danger. This is, this is a new city only made for flourishing. The cities all throughout history have been made for us, for, for humanity to, to look at the things that we've done, the architecture. Look at this architect did this and this architect did that. And our cities generally are built up for the fame of us. And we see this in Genesis, Genesis chapter 11, first book in the Bible, 11 chapters into history, and we see that humanity is getting together to build a monument for our glory, to say, look at us, how great we are. This city is not going to be for our glory, but it's going to be for God's glory. But here's the thing, it was prepared for us. God didn't make it for himself as if he needed a city to live in, it's prepared for us. 
And there's so many details about this that I want to encourage you to read this text on your own time. We can't get into all of them today, but you need to know that God always cares about the details. How many of you are detail-oriented? You are just like God in that way. I could care less about the details, right? Could care less. It's like, let's just get to the place. We'll figure it out. No big deal. And like some of your stress just went high just hearing me say that, right? I work with Evan. Evan knows. Evan's a detail guy. I'm not. I'm like, Evan, we're going to do this thing. He's like, <gasps> okay. Like, with what details? I'm like, Evan, don't worry about it. It'll be awesome. Like, it'll be great. God's a detail. God's into details. And he knows us. He knows us. He's prepared the city for us. And we know that God is into the details. If you, if you know your Bible, you know that when the people of God come out of slavery, out of Egypt, and they get out into the wilderness, and they create um, this tabernacle. Unfortunately, that's a swear word here in Quebec, but it's not in English. I'm fine moving forward. Okay. But they have this tabernacle, and this tabernacle is a place where God would, his presence would, would dwell in a different way so that people knew where God actually was. They, they could go out and see, ah, yes, it's right there. His presence is with us. There were so many details about the tabernacle. Then later on, when they, they move into uh, the city of Jerusalem, David, King David, wants to build a temple uh, for God. And God says, no, 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 not you. Your son is going to build the temple. And the temple has so many details to it. But the tabernacle and the temple were preparing us for Revelation 21 and 22. And so what we, you, you would imagine that if there's going to be a city of God, there would be a temple. But look at what John says in Revelation 21, verse 22. I saw no temple in the city. I saw no temple in the city. Instead, he sees a cube. How many of you like cubes? Okay, like one hand. Great. Here we go. This is for you. Okay, Revelation 21, 15, and 16. The one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with its rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length, width, and height are equal. And some of you are like, well, what is, how big is 12,000 stadia? That's not the point. It's not about how big 12,000 stadia really is. The point is that it's a cube. So our future is a cubed city. That's where we're going to live. And if we were literalists, we would, might build a little model of this cube that we're going to live in. But this is not speaking literally of what where we're going to live. It's better, better than that. Let me read to you 1 Kings chapter 6, verse uh, 9, 19 and 20. 1 Kings chapter 6, 19 and 20. These were, this was the description of how the, the temple was supposed to be built. And within the temple, there was something called the Holy of Holies. And let me read it to you. The inner sanctuary he prepared in the innermost part of the house to set there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long. Pay attention to this. 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. And he overlaid it with pure gold, and he also overlaid an altar of cedar. So what was he building? A cube, Dwight. He was building a cube. Very good. All right? He was building a cube. So this first temple had this cube, and it was called the Holy of Holies. It was the most sacred space. And so what John sees is our place that we're going to live, our city, is the Holy of Holies. 
Like, we're going to live in the most sacred space you've ever been. That's good news, right? We're living in the very presence of God. This is our new home. And when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished, something happens. The, the curtain in the temple which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from top to bottom. This is a thick, thick curtain. It wasn't something you could just roll up in. I don't care what kind of strong person you are. I almost said freak, and there I just said it. But like, who can actually rip that, right? No one. And yet, as Jesus cries out, it's finished. That's torn, signifying that the present, we have access to the presence of God now in a new way. But what we see is when Jesus comes back to, to bring this new heaven, new earth, new city, we, don't, we can't just look in. We get to live and play and crawl around in and like roll in the dirt in the presence of God. Sometimes we walk into church buildings and we're like, oh. Or we call them silly names like the sanctuary. It's like, this is a room. This is an annex, right? We are not sponsored by Desjardins, which is why we don't turn that on, uh, right? They're giving us nothing for sure. I'm sure they wonder how they can take from us, right? But we walk in and sometimes we, now space is, space is holy because God has made it, but this space is truly holy. And, it, and it's us that make this space holy because of who we are as his as his people. The size is really just symbolic. The 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia, it means it's beyond measurement. The city's beyond measurement. It's, it's big enough for all of God's people. I don't know if you've gone to a, a jazz fest when one of the, the big bands were playing there, and you go there early on, you're like, oh, this will be okay, it'll be nice. And then uh, as the night gets on, you just kind of like, your, your shoulders are up in your ears, and you're dancing, but you're not meaning to dance, right? Because we're Baptistic, and we don't know how to do that, right? And it's like people just pushing on us that are making us, making us move. That's not the new creation. There's going to be room to, to breathe and move and, and have space. And so you're like, oh, city sounds horrible. You need to think differently of the city. It's a city that's big enough for all of God's people, billions, potentially billions of people to be there in his presence, enjoying him, not, not just sitting still, not just taking up minimal amount of space, but enjoying him. And there's a wall there. There's a wall. 21 verse 17 says, um, he also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. This just symbolizes that this is a really tall wall. No other walls were this big. It symbolizes the safety that we have in him, that, that what he's protecting us in is insurmountable, that no one's going to get in, break into the city, and destroy you. And these gates, these gates, if you feel like I'm giving you a lot of detail, I'm actually leaving a lot out. You should feel a little bit overwhelmed thinking about this new city that we're going to belong to. Uh, there are 12 gates, and they're not pearly gates. They're pearls. How do pearls form? Yeah, inside of a creature, right? And it's because some sort of irritant or wound happens. And so to protect itself from that intrusion, it begins to, to wrap that intrusion in all kinds of good scientific language, name things. I'm, I'm a preacher. I have no idea. It's like the, the stuff, you know, the secretion stuff. Uh, it just wraps it in it. But that's... It, a pearl represents that once there was a wound that can no longer be seen, and we wear it as beauty. 
Jesus was wounded because of us. Jesus took the curse on himself. And so as we walk into and buy these, this, these pearls, these pearls as gates, we could ask, where is our sin? And Jesus would say, you'll never find it. Like, it, it's wrapped up, and no one can break into this. They're, they're reminders to us that, that our access into his city is because of his wounds. We get to be brought in. He was wounded for us. And these gates are always open all the time, and you'll never be harmed. You'll never be pickpocketed. You'll never be beat up. You'll never be abused. You'll never be forgotten. You'll never be cast aside. And there's glory everywhere in this place. There's glory everywhere. The streets are gold. There's, there's jewels. But one of the most fascinating things of glory is what the nations bring in. Listen to this. Chapter 21, verse 24 to 26. By its light will the nations walk. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And the kings are representing the nations. Okay? And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. First off, all nations in one city. How, how would that go um, in certain countries around the world if we just brought all nations and dropped them off in a city? Not so well. There are some cities where people are really struggling. We live in a province where certain linguistic groups struggle to be with another linguistic group. We feel some of those tensions and even the laws that are being made around that. There's frustration. When we talk about the nations, we think war. We think division. We don't think like beauty and, and unity and people coming together. As much as we want it to happen, we feel like it's kind of a pipe dream. But yet in this new city, this is happening. All nations in one city and not with curtains in between them, separating them. All together, linked arms, holding hands, beholding the one who brought us together. There's not war in this new creation. There's worship. There's worship all the time. And, and there's work. There's, there's work that God puts on display that glorifies him. And this is where we have to use our imagination a little bit. Because I don't know if this is completely accurate, but I really do believe that the idea of what is being communicated to this is what I'm going to say. Um, again, about my kids. A um, few weeks ago, I, I was traveling. I couldn't go into Stella, my youngest daughter. Uh, she's in French school. She's six. And, uh, and, you know, they do their drawings and their paintings and their whatever, and then they put them all over the hallway, and parents go in, and parents are like, oh, it's amazing. I'm like, come on, you guys are all playing. Like, like you barely stayed in the lines, you know what I mean? Like, but I couldn't go that day, and Stella was so sad, so I organized, like, a private viewing, right? Because I'm a pastor, you know, I get private viewings of things. No, not at all. She's my, her teacher's my neighbor, so that's how we made it happen. But I, I went in, and... Um, and I'm going by all these other kids' stuff, and I'm just like, ugh, you know, like, it's okay. But, like, there's nothing I would buy or, like, take down. That wasn't why I went there, by the way, to buy art <laughs> from little kids. But I get to Stella's thing. Like, she shows me her thing. And it's like some, some strange upside-down astronaut with her face, you know, much larger than it is, like, posted on there. And she colored it all in. And I'm just like, that, that is amazing. You know, like, that might be the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And then she's like, there's more, Daddy. I'm like, oh, I want to see. I want to see. And so she brought me to the thing, and she said, Daddy, I made this one for you. You know, and it's like, 
I'm not crying, you're crying. You know what I mean? That type of thing. It's like, it's like, oh, that was for me. Like, that was for my glory. That was for my glory. She made that. Whether she actually did or not, she sold me in that moment. I brought 100 timbits. I'm like, you can have them all. Like, eat them all. Teacher was not happy, I don't think, that I brought in 100 timbits. But I'm like, glory of the nations for all the children. But I think, you know, I think that God's hallways in new creation are going to be a lot like Sella's school. That we're going to walk into new creation and it's going to be stuff everywhere that God says this is beauty. This is beauty because it glorified me. And it's like, if you remember Matthew 25 passage where Jesus is talking about um, separating people. You're my people and you're not. Like, come into my presence, depart from me. He says something to the effect of, um, when, when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you brought me something to drink. And they say, well, when? Like, when did we do that? And, and he said, when you did to the least of these, you did to me. So I think that the new creation is going to be all the things that we did, not for our glory, not to make much of ourselves, but for him. He's going to put those everywhere. And it's, so this makes our work and, and daily lives really, really meaningful. Because you're like, hey, I worked that contract in an ethical way um, to bring you glory, Jesus. And I could have done it this way, and I could have made more money this way. But I know, and no one even knows about it in our lifetime. And Jesus says, remember that contract you made? I've got it right here over my bed that I never sleep in because I don't sleep. But it's right here. It's right here. And it's like you're, everything that we've done, feeding, the giving, the, 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 the opening our homes, the, the time that you've given to people for the glory of Jesus. He stores it all up. He hoards that stuff. Because it brings him glory, and he's going to decorate his new creation with it, I'm convinced. And potentially in all of creation, it, maybe you have a dream job. Not because it's going to make you a lot of money, but it's that thing that you're like, you know what? If you didn't pay me for it and I could figure out a way to pay the bills, I'd do that thing. I'd do that. Maybe that's the thing you're going to do for all of eternity. And nothing's ever going to go wrong. Nothing's going to be broken. Wouldn't that be awesome? Monday morning, you go into your job. And it's like, this is going to go perfect today. That would be amazing. That's how things are going to roll in the new city. The best glory, though, is not our little six-year-old art projects. The best glory is, is him. Verse 11, having the glory of God, it's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. This once unapproachable beauty is now accessible. Radiant means um, that that something is a source of light, right? So we, we can reflect light. Like I could reflect this in someone's eyes probably off of there. I, it's not a source of light. It's a reflection of light. Maybe you're getting it off my glasses. I don't know. But I'm not creating that. He, he is the light. The light emanates from him. The glory emanates from him, which means in new creation, there'll be no shadow or hiding. Peter Pan will finally lose his shadow, Right? There'll be no shadow or hiding, which means, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but we'll be able to live naked and unashamed in the new creation, meaning that we don't have to hide. We don't have to try and convince, I don't have to try and convince you that, that I'm something different than I really am. I don't have to live for the approval of people anymore. We don't have to live for the acceptance, right? There'll be no hiding. We, we'll live like, it, like we were intended 
to live. And we'll live in the full glory of God. We will be devoured by his glory and never burned up. If you were to meet the glory of God right now, uh, you'd be struck dead. You'd be struck dead. Right? If we look at the sun, we get blind. Unless you're Donald Trump. Somehow it works out for him. I don't know. But if we were to look at the sun, we're, we're going we're gonna to go blind eventually. We, we can't be in its presence, and how much more so an infinitely glorious, holy, perfect being. And yet we will stand in his presence because of how he is going to remake us as a new people. And this is where we're going to end today, is verse 3 to 7, Revelation 21, that we're going to be made new. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And don't, don't ask, well, where's the daughter? The, a bigger point is being made there, that in that day, uh, daughters weren't part of the inheritance. And so what God is saying is, I'm going to treat you all like sons are treated in this day. All genders are treated just like a son would be in that day. But what's, what's proclaimed is it's done. It is, is done. It's, it's over. God with people forever. We're made new. And, and he wipes away that final tear. I don't think it's like the car wash where you drive your car through and those big long rags basically just like smash your car over and over and over to dry. I don't think that God pulls out the eternal car wash and just kind of like wipes all our eyes. I think it's a personalized ministry that he gets down and actually does that one last time and maybe even like plucks out the tear duct. Like you won't need those anymore in this new creation. It's done. He swallows death and then says, you're my kids. You're my kids. And I've been, I've been waiting for you. I, I've been waiting so long for this day. And I'm so thrilled that you are here with me. And you're going to see him. Revelation 22, 4, which I, I won't read. But it says we're going to see his face. Jesus is going to make eye contact with you. And not, not, not the strange eye contact, but like the deep eye contact. Like, have you ever felt like someone's like looking into your soul and you just kind of like cover up? You're like, I don't know what's happening. But he's going to look into your soul. He's going to affirm you in your newness. He's going to give you life. Revelation 22, 1 and 2 say this. The angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So the tree of life is there again. The tree of life was seen in the very beginning. The tree of life is there again, and we can access it. We can access it. And life, words sometimes are really important. Life doesn't just mean life. Um, so this word here is not bios. Bios means life, biology, 
if, if a child is born, like you see that, kids are super cute, but there's an expiration date, right? Like life does not go on forever. This is not bios that, that, that John is using, it's zoe. And zoe means life with no restraint, a, a infinite life, a life that just keeps going on, limitless. You ever done something and you're like, yeah, I feel really alive. Preaching, I'm like, yeah, I feel alive. Rope swings that you almost hit the ground, but like you have to pull up higher. I feel so alive doing those. Jumping off of high things into bodies of water, so alive. You know, I love it. Especially when it's a fast river that you're like, I might not make it, but this is awesome. You know, I feel so alive. So much adrenaline happening in that moment. That's our feeling forever. That's our feeling forever with no consequences. You weren't a good enough swimmer. You hit the rock. You didn't do the thing right. No consequences. This is a return back to the garden, back to the presence of God with no enemy, no evil. Rebellion is not even possible. Wouldn't that be nice to have rebellion not even be a thing that you can access any longer? It'll be the real you fully alive. Ray Ortland, an author, says, God rejoices to give you a future you can scarcely dream of. God rejoices to give you a future you can scarcely dream of. A place, or a people rather, with no shame, no regrets, no guilt, no hiding, no pride, no hypocrisy, no blaming, no abuse. Just God and his people. He said, I am making all things new. I want to wrap up by reading you uh, something from Ray Ortland's book. It's called the, the Death of Porn. And you're like, what does porn and this have to do with one another? A lot. A lot. But listen to this. This is a lengthy passage as well. But it's, it's a passage that has caused me to weep several times reading it and thinking about it. So his new kingdom of life is springing up everywhere. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages. There's room in there for any man or any woman. Why not you? Here's what you stand to gain. When the king returns, this is what we've been talking about. When the king returns, he's going to recreate our suffering world as a new earth where there's no pain, no boredom, and no depression. Every color will be brighter, every aroma richer, every taste more mouth-watering, Every sunset more dramatic. In his nuclear-powered presence, we will finally feel fully alive. And it gets better. The culture creating that we human beings have been busy with throughout history, our king will restore and preserve and perfect the best of our world for us to enjoy together forever. The glory and honor of the nations we brought into the holy city. The music, the art, the dress, the humor, the dance, the rhythms, the accents... The stories of all our cultures, our king values, all the glory and honor we've made. When he returns, he won't delete it. He'll redeem it. Heaven will be human and down to earth, more than Satan's world. For example, we'll be able to listen to a joke without having to brace ourselves against a distasteful punchline. Every new joke will be funnier than anything we've ever heard here. We will laugh our heads off. And Jesus himself will be loving every minute of it. The moment you step into his eternal world, here's how it might go for you. Remember our Lord didn't say, I go to prepare a place. 
What he said was, I go to prepare a place for you. So when you, when you show up, you won't look around and say, well, okay, I guess I can get used to this, whatever. You'll look around and say, no way. He thought of me. He understood my crazy heart. And you'll take off running, first of all, toward him. And you'll hurl yourself into his arms with such abandon, you might knock him over. And he won't mind. You'll both get up laughing. You'll look into his eyes. He'll look into your eyes and you'll ask, would you like a hug? And you'll say, I sure would. And he'll wrap you up in the biggest bear hug you've ever felt. And he'll say quietly, take as long as you want. I've got time. And you'll feel the healing start to flow down into your deepest pain. You'll start discovering what it feels to, to be human. So there you'll, there you'll be in his ginormous bear hug for maybe a year. And when you feel ready, you'll stand up and say, thanks, Lord. That felt good. And he will smile, and you will smile. Two royal figures and dear friends forever. And the great thing right now about your future is this. Anytime at all, by faith, you can go there in your mind, paint the picture for the eyes of your heart. You'll get fresh energy for living nobly amid the ruins of this tragic world. You'll need it, but you'll have it always. Satan's world is a lie. It's collapsing. The king's new world is real. It's rising. Savor that thought. How does that world sound? How does that sound? God invites you into that. God invites you into himself to play and rest and enjoy. And so as God's people, we have the best news to tell. We have the best news to tell a crumbling city. That there's a real city that's coming that's going to take the best aspects of our city but make it perfect forever. Right? We have the best news to tell of a God that's not looking for who he can smoke in the face but rather who he can bring into his eternal kingdom and lavish them with his goods for all time. And if you're here this morning, you say, okay, this sounds really good, but it kind of sounds too good to be true. You need to understand who God is. When God was asked by Moses, like, show me your glory, he says, I can't show you my glory, it'll kill you. But let me tell you who I am. Let me reveal my name to you. And he said this in Exodus 34, verse 6, I am gracious, merciful, and abounding in steadfast love. And abounding is that idea of leaving the, the kitchen sink on with, with a cup and a clogged sink. And then walking away. When you come home, your sink is going to be abounding in water. Like overflowing. It's like the wet bandits from Home Alone, right? Like overflowing, but instead of being dest destructive, it'll be incredible. It'll be amazing. You'll be swimming in it. It'll be a good thing. Somehow you can swim in your house, walk around in your house, drink from your house, and not be destroyed, right? This is who he is in his love. Ray Ortland says his personality profile isn't balanced. It's biased in favor of grace for the undeserving. Of course he's too good to be true, except he is true. Of course this seems a bit kooky. Because God, we can't fully grasp everything about who he is and what he's doing. And we can either fight against it and say, no, I'm going to create a different future in my mind that I can accept 
with the human limitations, or I say, I want part of that. I don't understand it all. I don't know if I'll ride unicorns. I don't know if I'll do any of that stuff. But Jesus is going to be there, and he promises me this future. And this is the best offer on the table. And in fact, it's the only offer that's going to last. So as God's people, if you're part of his people, you can rejoice. Like, you can even rejoice in the non-quiet way. Not here, later, of course. But you can rejoice, and anyone can have it. Everyone is invited in. And, and as my man Bono, you know, we're super tight. Because um, I'm a pastor, remember, all the privileges you get. Bono says this. Uh, they rewrote 40 of their songs. You might not like them. doesn't matter. They rewrote some of the lyrics of songs that have been around for the past 40-ish years. And because he says the song wasn't fully finished. I, I needed more maturity and more understanding to really write the song. So he's finishing some of these songs. And he says in, in one of his songs, you can only have it if you give it all away. And that's the essence of this city. It's not that you get to keep your things and you get to hold on to Jesus. You can have it all. You can have it all, but you have to give it all away. You have to give everything about you away now. And Jesus has a far better plan for your life than what your 20, 30, 40-year plan is. And where we're going is every sad thing comes untrue. Every sad thing comes untrue. And every happy ending we wish for is here in God's proclamation. New. You're made new. Let me pray and then we're going to respond to this. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you've made, that you're making all things new. My mind struggles preaching this because I, I really feel like I, I'm fumbling and, and searching for wor words to describe the, the epicness of this. And my mind can't fully wrap itself around everything being new and new in such a way where there'll be no sin, there'll be no rebellion, there'll be no death, there'll be no chaos, there'll be no evil, there'll be no friction, there'll be no um, um, expectations that are unmet. Everything will be clear there will be um, incredible clarity, and there will be clarity primarily around your glory and how beautiful it is and how we are dependent on you forever and how we'll love that. I want to pray for people who are here this morning who don't yet know you, Jesus. This is a world uh, that they're saying, oh, I would like to be a part of that world, but I don't really know how to get there. That they would understand that you, Jesus, came and died for them and rose for them so that they could be a part of your people. And that they would accept that, receive that this morning and say, this seems like the best offer on the table and I want it. And I, I'm willing to, to take, as Kierkegaard said, that leap of faith. It's not, a, it's not a blindfolded leap of faith. It's a, I've examined my options and I'm leaping into the arms of the only one who seems capable of holding me for all of eternity. I want to pray for those of us who are here that... Um, we, we hear all this, and maybe it doesn't do anything in us. Maybe we've been walking uh, far from you. Or maybe, maybe we haven't been meditating on the goodness of who you are and what's going on. And would you, would you bring that back to us this morning? For those of us who delight in this, who, who weep with tears of joy over the fact that I can't believe that I'm going to get to give you that ginormous bear hug for a year. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve getting to have my sins removed and getting to play in, in your holy of holies forever. But I'm, I'm sure glad I have it. Help us rejoice in that this morning. We love you and we need you. Thank you for the book of Revelation. Amen.